pop up submissions today. We've got some thrilling submissions for your consideration, ranging from historical fiction to hard sci fi and a discussion um, on self help books. Do you or have you ever read one? And if so, has it changed your life? Plus, two bookalicious guests, the first one of whom is none other than, oh yeah, Ben Fox, serial entrepreneur and boss of Shepard.com, the radical new book discovery site. And I always know when it's going to be a good show because our next guest is on. Yes, it's the famous Annie Summerlee, live and direct from Spain. Let me just tell you, you can read about all today's narrators on our website voice.latopia.com where you can also book them to narrate your next audiobook and early warning the book club that's Latopia book club is meeting virtually at the end of this month to discuss the song of achilles more info from club.litopia.com all this plus a phenomenally hyperactive genius room who you're going to be exposed to immediately after our first submission. Here we go. Submission number one. First show of the month. Hello, Danny. Great to have you here, Danny. And you're first up. Wow. Uh, domestic thriller. That's interesting. Domestic thriller. We can talk about that in a minute. What is that domestic thriller? I wonder. That is called The Pushover. This is Danny's blurb. The pushover is a murder mystery with a twist. We know who the murderer is, but who is the victim? I like that twist. Do you like it? I do. So you know what, what it sounds like is Agatha Christie, a little bit sort of thing Christie would do, yeah? Uh, we continue. When a Samaritan volunteer receives a call at 2 a.m. from a woman called Grace, who says she's killed someone. The Samaritan suspects the call as a hoax, but she's wrong. Grace is a killer. Just not someone you would ever suspect. Told from Grace's point of view, the novel starts two years after the murder, when Grace is trying to come to terms with her wedding day murder. Her wedding day murder. Interesting wedding day. And makes her confession. All right, I'll tell the world about you, Danny. Uh, Danny Parker has loved working with the words for as long as she can remember. She's delighted that she's managed to make a good living from something she enjoys so much for over 20 years. Yeah, that's, that's a good deal, isn't it, actually? As a copywriter, that's interesting. Always prick my ears up when I know someone's been a copywriter because they indicates a certain awareness of the strategic importance of words, you know? So, uh, yeah, that ticks a box for me. Uh, and journalist. She's worked on magazines including Marketing Week, Creative Moment, and is now the editor of PR Moment. As well as writing words, Dany likes to chat. She's particularly good at asking probing questions. Probing questions. My dentist says that. He says, can I probe you? I've <laughs> got no choice, really. Um... <laughs> getting people to confess their deepest, darkest secrets. For her day-to-day -day rambling, she has a captive audience of thousands of followers on both Twitter, at Danny Parker, and LinkedIn. I can't uh, give that link, but maybe... Uh, oh, it's not there, actually. It's a shame. 
We do encourage everyone to um, send their links on that little box, uh, submission box, because then we just put on screen and people can, you know, scan and so on. Um, But that's all great. And what's even greater, I believe, will be this amazing reading from Mel. The Pushover by Dany, read by Mel. Prologue. 2 a.m. Monday. 3rd June, 1996. It's graveyard shift at the Samaritan's office in a small town in Surrey. The two volunteers on duty are usually left undisturbed at this hour, so the phone ringing startles them both. The call is answered on the second ring. Hello, Samaritans, can I help you? There's silence on the other end of the line. The volunteer tries again. My name is Charlotte. Do you want to tell me your name? After a few seconds, the caller speaks, barely above a whisper. Grace. Hello, Grace. Is there something you want to talk about? There's the sound of an intake of breath, then, I murdered. Charlotte stays quiet, straining to hear what Grace says next, but she can only make out muffled sobs before the line goes dead. Chapter 1. Compost Heap Mayhem from Helicopter Tornado by Grace O'Neill. A compost heap was blown up in the air and deposited debris over nearby residents after an air ambulance took off in a garden in Dashford. 2.05 a.m., Monday, 3rd June, 1999. I slowly put the phone down on the desk and wait for my shaking to subside and my vision to clear. I want to scream, tear out my hair, throw the phone against the wall, bang my head repeatedly on the desktop. These are all tactics I've tried before but they never help. When I can't sleep, which is most nights, I usually get up and watch TV. I can never concentrate on the screen, though, as my mind watches another show, one that I have on repeat in my head. I see the events of that day, my wedding day, unfold again and again, always with the same end. When did it all go wrong? Was there one key moment when I stopped being a regular person and stumbled onto the path that ended up with me becoming a killer? I want to be ordinary again. I get through each day well enough, acting as if everything is fine. I smile, I talk, I work, I eat. It's at night that my conscience likes to torture me. To end the pain, I go through different options in my head. Killing myself used to be option number one, but I've only got so far as swallowing some paracetamol. Never enough so far. I'm desperate to share this agony. But who can I tell? A priest? I can't step foot in a church, thanks to my mother putting the fear of God into me. The Samaritans? I never get much further than saying my name. A therapist? How can I find the right sort for my particular dilemma? There can't possibly be therapists trained to help accidental murderers. Tonight, I switch on the computer and start typing. Confession, part one. The person I killed on my wedding day could easily have been someone else. There are three others on occasion I have wished dead. I have succeeded in dispatching every one of them, one way or another. In chronological order, victim number one is my mother. She made sure I had all the ingredients for a happy childhood. She also made sure I didn't enjoy it very much. Mummy wanted to save me from my innate badness. Her first attempt, that I recall, happened when I was around four years old. The day started so well. There was a picnic in the garden, the only childhood picnic that I can remember having. 
I see the four of us sitting in our neat garden on a red, green, and yellow tartan rug. Jupiter, our King Charles Spaniel, kept trying to steal the food off our plates. Daddy took a lot of pride in the garden, and our lawn had bowling green quality stripes. We had six-foot-high wood panel fencing separating our green patch from the neighbors, which meant they couldn't look in from their gardens. I used to love playing out there. I would take my dolls out for constitutionals in their smart navy blue pram, while my brother Mark would kick a ball, and I would worry he would damage Daddy's tomato plants. Mark had no intention of harming Daddy's plants, though. He wanted to harm me. Fantastic. Mel, got us to a very good start there. Thank you. Um, L.A. Thomas in the uh, genius room. Uh, some news for me. That's not my dentist, he says. It's not my dentist. I was wondering about that. Um, well, we'll just have to find out about that. Uh, Vagabond says, I'm surprised there aren't more calls of the Samaritans at night. I would have thought so too, but I don't know. Um, Prologue was redundant, says L.A. as well. And one or two other people are talking about the prologue. Um, it's very short, actually, very short. Isn't, I didn't mind it too much. Uh, did that first sentence slip by the copy editor, says John Bertel. And I think already, uh, Dainey, who was with us live on YouTube, has said, I'll correct the typos. Um, Hannah, I would have thought that what we generally name the graveyard shift would be the busiest. I don't know. Uh, Vagabond says, bang your head in a desk, won't help you sleep, though. And Matt says, I wonder if the moment has all changed and I became a killer. Wouldn't work better as an opening. I'm really interested in that device. So tell you what, let's come back to the genius room in a moment and let's see uh, what our two guests think. I'd like to get Annie's reaction first of all. Is this something that piques your interest a little bit? Yes, I think the concept really good. The um, not knowing who the victim is already, you know, it's kind of flipped that on its side. So I think that's um, immediately going into that, you already have a question and you're wanting to find out the answer. Yeah. Um, and the, the writing itself is good. There's just a few things that I'm not 100% sure on because the prologue, as other people mentioned, it was a little bit redundant because obviously we're going into that already mm. knowing from the blog that. So it was just a tiny bit underwhelming. I think you could... I know with prologues, short and sweet is good, but I think you could actually amp that up a little bit more, give us a bit more there. Um, and yeah, the 2am thing did stop me. It did make me stop and think. Instead of like reading on and focusing on the writing, instead I was, I was wondering, I was like, oh, is, is that unusual? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in the actual chapter, um, I think we started with a bit too much of an internal monologue. So there was just, mm. we spent far too much time in her head at the start. And then I really liked the confession part at the very beginning, like um, where she's writing this confession. But I think you could actually play around a little bit more with the formatting because you started by saying there are three um, possible victims. So that's really interesting. And then you start with the mum, but then we go far too in-depth with her mum because I, I was immediately I was like oh I want to know the next two but um so something that you could do with that actually is kind of make it its own chapter so like put potential victim number one and then oh. give us the mum and then the second victim so yeah. I think that's just something to do to like kind of work with the expectations of the reader but the the writing itself is good and there's an interesting voice there and the concept's great so i think you've got all the right ingredients for this Fantastic. to be very successful 
Thank you, Annie. You're in fire today, as always. I told you it was going to be a good show, didn't I? Let's see what you thought, Ben. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was great. It intrigued me. The blurb grabbed me. I liked the title, um, the writing. You know, there were there were a few things where I paused and some little things threw me, but overall good. I think the only thing that I hit was one. I didn't know what Samaritan group was. I think that might be a UK specific thing. So yeah. for the US market, um, that probably needs to be a little bit more. I, yeah, actually, yeah, but easy to say suicide prevention hotline and that works globally. Yeah. Um, and then on the on the bang, I was a little bit worried because somebody had also said it, but the accidental, the minute I saw accidental, I got way less interested um, because the I, I did like that it kind of flipped it in the in the blurb and, and the title kind of goes along with that. But then when it said accidental, I was like, well, the, the, what's going on here? And yeah. how is this a book? Um, so that was the only thing that kind of caught me. Um, but otherwise, I thought it sounded very interesting. Yeah. Good and uh, oh, genius room is just going like crazy. Uh, James says all the internal dialogue in the beginning and, and no story doesn't work for me. Um, and Daniel says I was a Samaritan. You know, I, I suspect you might have been actually. I thought you were writing, yeah, from experience. It was quiet at night. Okay, right. That's uh, all you needed to do there was just sort of sort of say you know people expect that it's busy yeah, second no, night, no. but actually it isn't. You just need to establish that, I think. Otherwise, we start to think, mm, is that really the case? Uh, James says, all the internal dialogue at the beginning, no story doesn't work for me. Mm. Hannah, isn't the right place to start or get to the point quickly? Too much monologue and telling here. Show us something. And Barbara says, I can't get into it. It feels a bit fragmented and too telling. Matt says, okay, so we're getting a psychopath's memories here. This is interesting. Um, but he says, the opening couple of pages are less interesting. Um, Johnny likes it. Definitely to read on. LA, you like the writing, not the structure. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering about the structure at the moment. Meanders a bit, says a vagabond, so it feels less focused than I'd like. And Claire says, I wouldn't reveal it was an accident this early. A lot of people have, have, have picked on that, Danny. Um, a rare submission, Matt goes on to say, that has more bang than anything else, which means there's a ton of promise here. Very cool. And uh, what else? PC Frontier. Oh, yeah, PC Frontier. I like the prologue of the Samaritans. That was good and sharp. A good story idea. However, I thought the rest of the text lost a bit of pace and tension. Could we get to the murder description? The title seems a bit tame to me. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Did, did we just get a comment from Danny? I didn't see it on the screen. Oh, yeah. Can, I, can you uh, flash it up again so I can see what she said? Here we go. Uh, thank you, Annie. Yes. <laughs> thank you. It says Danny to Annie. Got a little uh, private correspondence going on here. So I just want to ask all three of us here, because we've got a very interesting idea here. You know, the, the idea has, has definitely stuck in my mind. And what I want to know really is the execution going to deliver on it. But what Danny has done is, is turned, she's turned the whodunit 180 degrees. It's not a question of who did do it. We know who did it. It's a question of which murder was it. Is that going to work, guys? I think it's the, the one thing that I was wondering when I read the blurb, um, because it says the kind of the stakes at the very end, they fell a little flat for me because it was more of her coming to terms with what she'd done. There doesn't seem, there doesn't appear to be based only on the blurb. There doesn't appear to be a threat in the present. Mm. So oh, I heard someone sneeze in the background, sorry. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I don't know if if that's something that is there, if there is a threat in the present, like are the police picking up this yeah. trail? Or yeah. is so I, I think you need to clarify that a little more because if it's just a kind of a psychological, her 
coming to terms with what she's done, yeah. but she's not actually facing any consequences. Yeah. That's um, something to it's think different about. book, different genre, really. Um, interesting, right. Dainey describes this as domestic thriller. And I'm kind of pushing that because I want to, because it's more commercial. You know, everything I, my reaction basically comes from a commercial point of view. I'm pushing them more towards the cosy. I don't know if you're familiar with this, uh, Dainey, but... Uh, cozy crime, cozy thriller, cozy this, cozy everything is very, very cool at the moment. So that's what we want really you to to move this into. So I'm, I'm guessing domestic thriller is pretty much your way of saying cozy thriller. Um, I hope it is. Um, ben, this is a game yeah. that the, 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 yeah. the Danny is playing with the reader. And, you know, the game I, is... I like is not, it. Go on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I read a lot of crime novels, so I was instantly intrigued. I think what threw me is, you know, my mind's imagining the direction and wanting to see some type of confirmation in order to make a purchase or, you know, dive deeper. And so for me, you know, somebody also mentioned, if this is the story of a psychopath, you know, and from the inside of their mind, that's incredibly intriguing. You know, if this is a story of a normal woman with accidental deaths, that doesn't really feel like the genre is right. As thriller, it almost feels like dark comedy, you know, almost. <clears throat> So I just wasn't sure where it was going a little bit, but I was still very intrigued. The accidental, I will still harp on because it really threw me, um, you know, that, that changes the whole dynamic of the book, you know, that it's yeah. accidental. She didn't mean to, you know, if it was a dark comedy and she's killed four people accidentally and the police are super interested in her, I still don't think it hits thriller. So I guess some of it depends on where it, where it goes, but um, I read a lot of crime books and I was very, very intrigued by the uh, premise and the way it was delivered. That's very encouraging. Both of you voted. The genius room has voted. Let's look at the numbers. You're starting with a very solid six to six, Danny. Uh, Danny, you may even be the winner, actually, of the show, depending on how um, everyone votes for the next four submissions. I hope that you find that useful. You're with us right now. Got any questions, thoughts or comments on ours? Because we review your submissions. You can review ours. So you just you just let us know, Danny, in the, in the next few minutes. And uh, meanwhile, I think, you know what I do? I think we should have a chat with Ben. This is, this is Ben Fox. You know Ben. Ben's been on the show several times before. Um, I'm going to flash. I'm not going to ask you what you do, Ben, because it's, it's something. It's grand okay. covered previously. But if you want to know who Ben Fox is, what he does, he's a serial entrepreneur, and you've got a bit about him up there. And I want to talk to him about Self-improvement books, self-improvement books. The name is a little bit, I don't know, it's a little bit uh, last century, actually. It used to be a huge area. I'm not sure it's such a, such a big genre in publishing at the moment. I've got, you know, when, when I mentioned this to you a few weeks ago, you said, yeah, it's an area I really like, had a strong impact on me. So I said to you, give us just one or two books that have been significant for you, had, had, an, had a positive impact, in, impact in, your, in your life. And you've done that very kindly. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use, you've given us three choices, I'm going to interleave the submissions today with those three choices. And this is the first one. Tell us about this and, and what, what it meant to you. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I love this author. He gets to the heart of the matter. Um, you know, he, he rubs some people wrong, but for me, he speaks really well to me. Um, so it's a lot of philosophical discussions, but in very plain language about what you're doing in life, how you should operate through it, um, and so on. So I found it very helpful when I had some health and uh, work crises uh, in 2014, he really helped me get past them um, over the next couple of years. And so I just love the book. And he also does long form essays on his website that are quite good. 
Yeah. So what's the, um, without reading it, <laughs> what's the uh, what's the bottom line here, the subtle art of not giving up? <laughs> um, yeah. We can say that on YouTube. It doesn't, we're, going to, we're going to do something, I'll just warn you, everyone, last special day, we're going to do something so bad, so awful, that it could get us banned from YouTube. Do I care? I care a little bit, but I also care about authorial expression. So stick around and, and see what the hell it is that's going to happen. This is live, right? right. So who knows, we might get cut. So what's, what's the bottom line of, the, of this book? Uh, oof, that's a hard one. I would say maybe don't care as much about all the little things and focus on what really matters to you and figuring out what that thing is. I think that's really his, his core premise is stop caring about the superfluous and figure out what you want to focus on. Important message, important message, yeah. Thank you for that. I'm going to ask you for two more recommendations in a moment right now in next submission. Thank you, Danny. Good, good of you to say that. Submission number two. The girl who would be Bonnie. That's not Scottish Bonnie, is it? It's a name, actually, I think. Historical crime fiction from Lex. Lex Lander. I don't think that's our Lex. I don't think it is. Who can say it? Lex is omnipresent after all. And this is Lex's blurb. 1934. Six-year-old Jill Nielsen and her father are present at the last bank robbery of the Bonnie Parker gang. Bonnie makes a connection with Jill, gaining a friend and disciple. 1955, now 27, a spoiled, morally bankrupt Jill flails around for new kicks after an abortion. Avid collector of Bonnie and Clyde memorabilia, since her childhood encounter with the pair, she decides to restage their bank robberies. <laughs> Reenactment. She recruits her Clyde and embarks on a crime spree in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I think that's a big concept. I like it. Another, another one that excites me, the concept of... Um, Dana's submission excited me. This excites me as well. Let me tell everyone, everyone about you. I'm a true Brit, says Lex Derbyshire born, but have lived in a variety of countries, notably France, the Netherlands, Spain, uh, New Zealand and Canada, where I amassed a lot of background material for my novel, starting with Another Day, Another Jackal, published in 2016, with nine novels out there somewhere, Selling steadily, if not spectacularly. Steady is good, actually. That's called backlist. That's important. Um, I currently produce two books a year, which is a challenge, as I also have a business to manage in Canada. Wolfpack Publishing, based in Las Vegas, have just published a book from my backlist, uh, with two more to follow. Hopefully, they'll succeed in opening up the US market for my work. Hopefully, we will too. Uh, to pass the time when not making money in words, I sail, ski, and explore. Oh, and read. Good, pleased to hear it. And uh, you'll be pleased to hear this reading from Johnny. The Girl Who Would Be Bonnie Written by Lex, read by John This is a stick-up. The rasp of Clyde Barrow's voice stilled the murmuring of conversation, replacing it with gasps and a feminine squeal or two. You guys behind the counter, stand clear and grab some cloud. A pair of gesticulating revolvers reinforced the command. The rest of you on the floor, and be damn quick about it. Bonnie Parker, a slight figure in a beret and a long maroon skirt, prodded a pump-action shotgun at the semicircle of customers. A woman standing close by began to wail. Cut that! Bonnie advanced on her, wagging the shotgun. She subsided to the floor, moaning. The other occupants of the First National Bank followed suit without the vocal accompaniment. 
Among them, holding the hand of a small girl, a man of about thirty, in a belted raincoat. No fear there, just a wary look in his eye. A cool customer, Bonnie figured. The girl, on the other hand, was pop-eyed and jaw-dropped with the thrill of it all. Satisfied that Bonnie and Henry Methen, third member of the team, had the situation under control, Clyde mounted the counter and straddled the cage. He kept both revolvers trained on the two male tellers. One of them, weedy, bespectacled, backed away, mouth quivering, arms outstretched upwards. A door behind him opened and a balding man in a dark grey striped suit emerged. One look at Clyde and he bolted back through the doorway. The door slammed. In the ensuing hush a key was heard turning the lock. Clyde dropped to the floor on the teller's side of the counter and fired a single shot at the glass panel, demolishing it. Come out, he hollered over the tinkling glass. Don't make me fetch you, else there's going to be blood and sure as heck won't be mine. Methan sniggered. A woman crouching on the floor, her head shielded, burst into tears. What's happening, Daddy? The little girl squeaked. Shush, darling, it's all right. Bonnie sidled a second glance at the man, a youngish clean-cut type with wire-framed glasses, ideal G-man material. Her gaze shifted to the girl. Her thin face broke into a faint smile as she addressed the child. Six years old, maybe seven, coppery brown hair, dead straight, cut in a bob, perfectly colour matched by her eyes. Your pa's right, honey. We'll be out of here in no time. Okay, the girl said coolly, returning Bonnie's smile, her eyes on the shotgun. It didn't scare her. She just wondered if the woman would make a go bang. Little did most of America know that in Bonnie Parker's hands, guns were mostly window dressing. Only her fearsome reputation kept folks trembling in her presence. That and the Thompson gun wielded by Henry Methan, a man destined soon to fatally portray his infamous associates. Behind the counter, Glenn was hurling the two tellers into the office. Voices were raised. A gunshot made everyone flinch, even Bonnie, though she guessed it was to intimidate rather than injure. Notwithstanding the 14 fatal shootings attributed to him, Clyde had never killed for the hell of it. From within the office came raised voices, another shot, then scuffling noises. Clyde emerged, looking flustered and hurried over to the teller station, shoving one revolver down his waistband. He produced a drawstring bag. What about the safe? Methan growled, swivelling the Thompson left and right to keep the audience covered. Time switch, snapped Clyde. Can't be open for half an hour. Time switch? Bonnie echoed, a frown creasing her forehead. What the hell? Shit, who cares? Clyde was too busy to deal with the questions. The drawer was empty. He moved to the other teller's position. It was a respectable hall. He cast around for other sources of cash and saw none. Briefly, he considered robbing the customers, discarding the thought at once. Institutions, not individuals, were his prey. Not without some justification was he known as Robin Hood of the Midwest not to mention public enemy number three or four behind Dillinger and Babyface Nelson. An unofficial status that owed everything to the press and nothing to the FBI's fugitive list. Thank you very much, Johnny. Um, now, straight to the genius room where there's a huge amounts to report back. Um, and yeah, the most important thing to say, of course, is Lex, uh, Lex, our Lex Black, that would be. Says, oh, someone representing the Lex name. Uh, you have much to live up to. Holds up opera glasses. Yeah, I think I think you, both Lexes are pretty good, actually. A uh, great author name, though, says Johnny. James says, I love the concept. Hmm. Barbara likes the sound of this. Pamela Joe, promising premise. Depends on the voice. Blurb good, says Hannah. That sounds like fun. Uh, James goes on to say, author's name reminds me of Lex Luthor. Yes, 
Kate is fit, isn't it, actually? Uh, sounds really fun, says Matt. So, yeah, we're all excited about this, Lex. Um, and then Claire says, unlikable main character could work if done well. Uh, PJ, as American, I have some trepidation about getting certain characters right, especially at that time period. Um, and LA uh, says, so this is from Bonnie's point of view, not the main character, Jill? Um, Barb says, formatting's but hard on the eyes, needs sorting. Hannah, key was heard. Who heard it? Just Clyde? Everybody? Um, and I'm not sure if I buy the girl not being scared, says Ally. James says, should clearly start with girl's point of view and what she's seeing and feeling. Johnny, Johnny on narrator says, writing was tight and tidy, economical, not over busy. And Hannah says, too much passive voice. It takes me out of the scene. And I think that's a very perceptive comment, actually. And I wanted to be more in, immersed in the scene myself. Um, takes me out of the scene. I'd rather be in someone else's head experiencing this. And Claire says, I agree about point of view. Uh, is, and Mark, Mark goes on to say, why did the author intentionally pull us out of a good story? And um, more and more and more. Um, just If you're watching the recording, just freeze frame and read everything that's being said. I want to hear what Ben thought. First reactions, please. Yeah, I thought it was uh, well-written. It, it worked for me. I think the biggest fault that I was, or not fault, but I was confused on was the blurb versus the content because the blurb makes it sound like it's about um, Jill um, and, and she's recreating this. But then the you know initial read was about, uh, you know, this historic robbery that she was a child at. And so I think if I was picking this book up off the shelf, I thought it was well-written. It was intriguing. The title was good. But I, I think I would be facing some confusion over, you know, who is this book really about? Am I reading, you know, a few chapters and I still haven't gotten to Jill? And then I don't know if I'm going to commit the rest of the way. Um, but yeah. I thought it was quite good and it sounded very intriguing. Yeah, it does sound intriguing, doesn't it? It's, it's high concept. What did you think, Annie? Um, well, I think it's got a really good concept. So I do agree with that. The writing is very polished. So it, it feels like someone who's written quite a lot, which was good. The only thing that I thought is, um, I'm not sure if a bank robbery is actually that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know that obviously if it happened to us, it would be, but it's a scene that we've seen so many isn't times. It, so, unless you're, mm -hmm. so unless you're giving it to us from a perspective that we've not seen before, and you've got such a great opportunity here too, because your protagonist is going to be this six six year old in the fifties. So why don't we see it from her point of view now? Because I think that would be a lot more engaging that way. Whereas just this, because people pointed out already in the genius room the point of view issues, where there was, you know, where there was a bit of head hopping, and then the getting some of the backstory. These are people who we're generally familiar with already. So if you can give us a fresh perspective, I think you'll have a much stronger opening. Yeah, I think that's right. Because that, cause actually it all is tied up really between you know, the, the relationship between these two. So, yeah, that's what we want to get into straight away. Uh, the genii are saying, uh, Claire says, I want to see the girl's point of view. This is what everyone's been saying really. And how the hero worship develops. Pamela Joe says, good point, Claire. This scene is all about Clyde and PC Frontier. So it's a good action start. And for me, the writer keeps up the pace and tension through the writing. Not sure about the title. Okay, so let's just check back and see if Annie's got the numbers in. You have them? Just okay. a second. I well, completely we'll, we'll, forgot. Uh, talk amongst ourselves for a moment while you do. Um, yeah, sales point, says Pamela. Sales point is what it 
What is it about Bonnie that's so cool? She's presented as a secondary character in this opening. Yeah, I think that's right. I want to be more excited than I am um, at the moment, uh, Lex, and I think the concept is very strong, um, but you've got to have a twist on it. I mean, just just that concept by itself isn't enough to maintain the whole book, you know, 80,000 words or more. There's got to be some interesting twist going on there. Um, spot on, PJ says Vagabond. Let's look and see if Annie's numbers have come through. It does yes, feel they... like you're trying, you want to sell Jill in this, and Jill's not in it. Exactly. That's exactly it. And so we've got a number of 70, Lex. That is seriously good numbering. I'm going to write that down now because I said to Danny, actually, I said, you might be the show winner. I'm going to say to you now, Lex, you might be the show winner. That's, uh, I mean, you know, we have had monthly winners scoring 70. So keep your fingers crossed for the, uh, the rest of the show. <laughs> That's a very strange noise. Um, but <laughs> everyone's saying, you know, what is what is Ben Fox up to these days? Of course, he is up to Shepherd.com, and we need to acknowledge that. And we need to say, actually, we need to say thank you, Ben, for Shepherd.com. It's a very good thing to do for authors. Um, it's only been around really a matter of months, and and I know that you're constantly adding to it, iterating, making changes and improvement. What's happening? What's the latest on Shepherd.com? Yeah, so we are 21 months old, and for January, we just had 440,000 visitors, which is wow. awesome. Um, yeah. It's really starting to grow faster. Um, and the big thing I'm working on right now is adding genres and age groups because we had to license that data, integrate it, and it's a massive project. So wow. um, I will be working on that through March, probably late March, and maybe still adding things later on. But we're slowly getting there. We just got the first step done over the last month. Um, and it's looking good. Okay, so adding genres like age groups means from the reader's point of view, they they will be able to search. Yeah, by readers. Genre. Yeah, they'll be able to go to a science fiction page to small, you know, hard science fiction to anything like that. And we're going to add filters. So if they land, say, on a page about dinosaurs, you know, they can filter to see only dinosaur books for kids, uh, you know, in grade six. Or oh, they really can cool. say only for adult or nonfiction. So we're trying to just make the discovery process. This is a basic first step, but to to allow people to search in some cool ways and feel like they're kind of walking through the aisles of a bookstore is the feeling we hope to bring online. That would be such a great thing to do. Um, uh, one on the eye for yeah. Jeff Bezos, I, feel, I fancy, actually. Um, not that yeah. Amazon, <laughs> no, Amazon going to be threatened by you yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's, just, let's just talk about that, that magic D word you, you mentioned discovery discovery okay so my take i i kind of i don't want to bring everyone down i don't you know like pompous to be a nice upbeat sort of show but anyway i'm gonna to have to say this my take on the, the the state of publishing business at the moment is it's kind of bifurcating i think it's bifurcating i think you're going to have big publishing publishing really big books actually you know harry's autobiography and stuff like that for multi multi-millions and what used to be called, what kind of still is called the middleist, I think that's increasingly going to go the self-publishing route. That's my feeling at the moment, Ben. I'm not sure if that's that's right or not, but it's it's the way I feel it's going. If that is the case, I'm interested to know if you, you think it's going like that. If that is the case, then it means more authors are going to have to discover more self-publishing skills, amongst which Prime is really uh, discovery. 
Yeah, that's that's my worry. Well, I think the the most famous top five percent of authors are going to do even better than they were, and everybody else is going to face an incredible uphill battle. And traditional publishing is going to slowly just kind of degrade even more. No offense, and mm. so I think that you know I think that those authors are going to do self publishing because they can build their own fan base, yeah. make a higher percentage of revenue, and run at themselves. But um, yeah, I, that's kind of what I see happening. So a lot of what I'm trying to do is figure out how to help word of mouth, you know, yes. to spread a book a little bit this more because they, it's a, uh, it's a hard battle to be yeah. fought. It's hard to be, isn't it? And, you know, everyone sort of said, yeah, social media and so on. Well, a social media doesn't always guarantee that, you know, you might have a lot of followers that doesn't mean they're going to necessarily buy your books and B actually an awful lot, maybe more than the average population, an awful lot of uh, authors are actually kind of a bit antisocial. You know, they're a little bit on the introverted side. They don't necessarily want to be TikTok stars and stuff like that. They just want to be left alone and write their books. Yeah. And social media is such just you have to turn out stuff over and over. Only 1% of your audience sees it, and they all slowly push you to pay for ads. So it's the okay. same thing, you know, Amazon has done too. So I'm yes. trying to give a place that at least does part of the marketing process for authors, and it connects with readers, you know, from That's a great. shared love of books. So that's, we've got some new stuff launching this year, uh, other formats, because right now we just ask authors to share five books around a topic, theme, or mood um, that's next to their book, so that hopefully the readers landing on that book list that, that are interested in that topic, theme, or mood also meet them in their book. And then later this year, we're going to launch some new formats around interesting facts, um, kind of online dating for book characters, so people can see, I oh, like yes. this character, what else oh, I, I like. Um, I love it. Yeah, so some some other things like that to try to mix it up. Online dating for book characters. That's got to be a winner. That's got to be a winner. That's so cool. That's like a reality TV. Oh, I love it. I love it already. It's a brilliant idea. Uh, This is why we uh, love Shabba.com and why we love uh, Ben as well. Thank you, Ben. Here we go. Submission number three. It's called Eccentricity. You're talking about me. Eccentricity. Science fiction. Hard. I like that. Science fiction. Oh, hard. Yes, I like that. This is from Jan. And this is Jan's blurb. The US president is dying and he wants the world to burn. Oh, this is non-fiction then, is it? Oh, he has secretly tasked a group of hackers to deorbit Alator, a five-kilometer wind space station. A wind space station? I'm not sure what that is. Onto Beijing in a rain of molten steel. This is presumably in, in revenge for the balloon. How did you know about that balloon, Jian? Did you have anything to do with it? The US launch complex is locked down and only Gene Dudley's team in Australia can do anything to prevent the Third World War. This is big concept. I love big concept. She must get on board and regain control. But the hackers are always one step ahead. Nice, it's good to see you there live with us, uh, Jen. And I'm going to just about talk a little bit about you. I was born in Kurdistan. Not everyday submission says that. Um, but moved to the UK 30 years ago. Since coming to the UK, I've worked as a civil engineer from Marine Consultancy and a program manager for utilities and banks. My experience in engineering has given me an eye for appropriate technical detail. It would do, actually, yeah. That's good background, uh, which I've tried to express in this book. Program management has taught me how people interact when under pressure. 
Hmm, another good one. I believe I've been able to bring this experience to my novel. Well, I hope, hope you do. And in order to facilitate that process, we've got a rather lovely reading here, not from somebody called Barbara, although my subconscious did keep saying that last week, but actually from Bev. Eccentricity by Jeanne Cash, read by Bev. 2035-07-20 T-20-30-05 Looking down the empty corridor, she slipped in quietly and closed the door behind her. We've been through this, Alon, Tom said. You should reconsider your position. Think about your shareholders. An overbearingly long reply came from the far end of the lounge. She recognised the voice. She edged closer across the wooden floor, alongside the partition wall. From there, Tom was visible, looking out the window with his back to her, his hands buried deep in his pockets. Craning her neck, she saw the snake filling an armchair, his floppy chin sitting underneath a smug grin. Frowning, she tightened her lips and mouthed, Alon? There is always, Tom started. But Alon stared past him and continued with his speech. The heat was stifling. Tom loosened his tie. He turned and began strolling to the far end of the lounge. When reaching the thermostat, he pulled off his tie and rolled it around his finger, casually talking over Alon. Do you mind? It's too stuffy here. Alon smirked. He knew the heat was building up. This is where he would shine, where he would be at his best. The table was finally turning. Soon he would have the upper hand. He would negotiate the deal of his life and collect everything. Tom glanced at the clock as July thunder rumbled outside. He continued past Alan, wrapping each hand in one end of the tie, genuinely disappointed to have missed the lightning. Carelessly inspecting his fingernails, Alan started with his sonorous voice dragging each word the best he could. You see, Tom, I've made my decision. It might be unpalatable to you, he started scrutinising his other hand, but open your eyes and see it my way. Tom was now behind Alan's seat. He turned, reached over the headrest, and deftly wrapped the tie around Alan's neck. She could not tell how, but Tom braced himself against the back of the chair. His eyes bulging and mouth wide open, his hands clawing futilely at the silk, tightening around his neck, gasping for air. Tom paused and then pulled the tie harder, holding, patiently, calmly, then for a short while longer. He didn't release his grip, but stared at the floor, motionless. She felt the stiff tie as if it were wrapped around her neck, crushing her dry throat and starving it of air. Her chest swelled, inhaling. Instinct took over just before choking, and she gave an involuntary gasp. She didn't feel it, but a drop of sweat slid off her forehead and onto her cheek. Her tensed muscles urged her to run, yet she leaned her heavy head on the wall and clenched the strap of her bag across her shoulder. She stood there powerless, incapable of tearing her eyes away from the lifeless hulk. Tom unwrapped his tie from Alan's neck. He stretched and smoothed the creases, 
and carefully folded it in half, ready to place it around his own neck. He turned and noticed her standing there, her short red hair partially covering her face. He tilted his head, mirroring hers, staring at her and holding her gaze for an eternity. She froze, rooted to the floor, watching as he walked towards her, still holding the tie. 2034-09-27-T-14-30-05 You're making the future of our country brighter. I'm excited for next year. I can't wait to see what you'll achieve. He stood in the middle of the group and continued. I tell you what, I want to come and see the place where you invent and create. Please do send me an invitation. That would be an honour, Mr. President. The honour is mine. People like you make our country extraordinary. Remember, the more you accomplish, the more they'll keep me here. And I tell you what, I never liked anywhere as much as this office. Oh, we will, Mr. President. It's a ways off yet, but you can count on us for your second term run. A contagious, euphoric glow overcame the group. It's not often a business like ours gets backing from the President. God bless America, President Shepard said, stepping away as Peter walked by his side, guiding him to his next appointment. Thank you, Bev. Great reading. Absolutely fabulous reading. Let's cut straight to the junior stream. Hannah says, non-social. Hannah um, always corrects me. Thank heaven somebody does. Um, non-social. I said antisocial. Um, you're right, Hannah. Non-social. Antisocial equals rebels. Non-social equals introvert. Thank you. And uh, I'm nice to be correct sometimes. Matt uh, says, apropos of this blurb okay this is a great blurb makes me want to pick up the book and that's what blurbs are supposed to do yes they're not synopses of the story they're supposed to sell the book and that's worked for matt which is great um blurb solid says james vagabond shareholders not much of a draw for the first paragraph la thomas says what a long reply um you'd have to write that to the uh, copy um hard slog for an opening says pamela start with the snake um Vagabond, confused about whose head we're in. Um, mm, that's not so good because Vagabond actually is our narrator. No immediate hook here, says Hannah. Pamela Joe, seriously, this is the wrong place to start. It's all that stuff about the tie, wasn't it? I didn't much care about that tie, to be honest. It's bobbing about a bit, says Johnny. Hannah, I'm getting bored with the tie. Unless it suddenly turns into a snake. <clears throat> uh, all that dramatic, says Vagabond. I was expecting this to be... Jean's story and for it to open with her and Matt says this is not where the story we promise should begin and um LA says who's speaking here Vagabond I don't know what's happening oh why are we hearing this collection of uninteresting events says Matt and that's kind of my feeling too watched Independence Day last night and this has now given me a flashback says Johnny and that's a good thing sorry I was too detached to enjoy this says LA Oh, all right. Well, I've got the mood of the genius room. Let's um, see what the mood of Annie is. Right. So, um, first of all, the, the writing, I think the writing's quite good. Like, the writing's very polished, so it's it flows very well. The issue is some of the scenes. So, for example, first of all, we've got, um, we've got the main character at the very start where she's you know, in that first prologue or first chapter, she's eavesdropping, but we don't know why she's doing that. And that just feels like a device for us to see that scene with those other two characters. 
But say since you're doing so much head hopping and we're going into all of these different point of views, we're not really connecting with anyone and we're not really connecting with the scene itself. Because unless I'm able to feel like we don't really get a sense of panic from her until the very end when, you know, that that paragraph about her seeing the tie, that was I thought that was quite well written. And then at the end, she's kind of like, oh, damn it. Now it's going to come for me. But we don't know why she was there. And I didn't really get that from her because they had too much. Yeah. And then the second um, chapter that also felt like a prologue. So I don't know if that's the right thing to go for because, um, I mean, that, that, that could maybe be better as your opening because the reader's kind of expecting the president. So yeah, maybe that's a better place to start. Um, and something else I want to point out is that I didn't really get sci-fi. So um, yeah. I feel that's, like... That, I guess that's coming. Right, yeah. But since it's in the 30s, I think it would help to just have a tiny bit of something that we see it and we can be like, oh, right, that's different. So just yeah. to kind of let us know that we're not where we are right now. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I just think it needs a bit more focus because the, the writing's okay. So if you're able to sort out the head hopping, because, I mean, I think that you can have head hopping in books as long as it's done intentionally. So... You know, if that's what you're going for, then go for it. But yeah. if you don't want that to be there, then don't do it. Yeah, this is why we call Annie on the money, Annie. Totally right. Absolutely. Uh, Claire says, get to the strangulation sooner. It's always a good motto for life, I think. Get to the strangulation sooner. And Matt says, maybe start with the president issuing an order to burn it, burn it all, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I love hard sci-fi. I actually just read one last night. Um, my problem was the blurb was fantastic, but the blurb didn't sound like it was for hard sci-fi. Hard sci-fi is usually very you know scientifically accurate and so on. And it was a for me, I was like, really, this is going to be hard sci-fi, which I was. That also intrigued me slightly. But then um, the title also threw me because it, it seemed like a really great title and blurb for a thriller, and. And I remember I, I tripped over the title heavily because I was like, I was thinking they meant the president was being eccentric and not say the, um, you know, the, the orbit. orbit. Yeah. I realized it's orbital. Yeah. yeah. And that, yeah. that, that's not working for me. Uh, I think something it's a little eccentric cool. to destroy half the earth, but the moon, I mean, we all yeah, got I know. I like, okay, we should call yes. it crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I thought it, I thought it did flow well, but I wrote down repeatedly lost. Um, I don't understand why it's important, and especially with that blurb going there, it was like that would be a hard. Um, you know, I probably wouldn't proceed further because it felt like a big miss. So, you know, I want to I want to know why it's hard sci-fi and have some some vouch because um, you know hard sci-fi is a very specific genre where you want to see proof of that. And already being a tech guy, having them say hackers. Like, I want to see proof that that's going to be accurate because that's one of the most annoying things uh, for a lot of tech people is when hackers are ridiculously overpowered or just inaccurate. So, um, yeah, I just want proof of some of those things and then yeah. the lost well, that's, that's the typical Hollywood description of a hacker, really, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's always wrong. Yeah. Um, they've got very yeah, cool operating systems. Sometimes I wish I had run the operating system, whatever they use. It, it, their displays are always amazing, but it's completely unrealistic. Yeah. Um, I wonder if... Um, 
Elon, Elon was Elon. That's a bit close, isn't it? Um, thing is that, uh, Jan, I know you're with us live now, right? So you come up with a great concept. It's a strong concept, big concept sort yeah. of thing. I, I love big concepts because they're commercial. So, you know, it's the sort of thing that I can, I can contact a publisher and say, this is the concept. And they'll go, let me see it. I want to see it now. And that's, that's exactly what you want publishers to, to say. Um, you don't have to be the best writer in the world. Honestly, you don't. If you look at, you know, the the um, leading books on Amazon right now in, in this category, are they well-written? Not necessarily, really. They're not very good necessarily in terms of literacy and wordcraft and so on. But one, one thing they do do really well is story engineering, right? It's just story, story, story. Pump out the story. Just concentrate on that. That's what I think. Concentrate on that. Lots of twists and turns, a lot of clunk click. And that's that's my feeling how it should be developed. Let's look at your numbers. You got a 59. Ah, oh, that seems very low, actually. I'm very surprised it's that low, but there we are. Yeah. Ben didn't mark too high. I think, uh, Jan, honestly, I think you disappointed. He just, he, he's just a, a self-confessed hard, hard sci-fi nut. Yeah, I like the blurb, but like I said, I would have rated it easily an 80 on the title in the blurb if it had come yeah. in as Thriller, you know, yeah. but, the, you know, there's a disconnect, I feel like. Okay, so there you go. There, there's one potential rating you're not going to have, Jan, because um, you disappointed him and you don't want that because Ben is very much in your demographic. Hopefully you found um, our thoughts helpful. I still, I've given you good marks. I got excited and publishing is all about excitement. You've got me excited about this. You've just got to deliver a little bit more on, on a, an amazing uh, story that twists and turns, you know, like a viper. And then I think, I think you'd be away with it, actually. Let's see what's next. I can tell you what's next. Ben doesn't know this is coming up. I do. So I'm going to book that okay. on the spot again. This is another one of those books that had a had a kind of an impact on you. It's a very cool title. I haven't come across this, but I already like it, actually. You know, just from the title, Leaders Eat Last. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, but tell us about it and how you came across it and what impact it's had on you. Yeah, for a long time, um, I was running a small business and it was difficult because I was younger and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and it took me a long time to kind of find my way, especially to manage other people and to work with them well. Um, and it really helped when I found this book to kind of epitomize some of the beliefs I already had um, into something more cohesive. He's really good at writing in a way that uh, makes you feel like you understand it better, even if it's still equally hard to put it into place. Wow. Um, and Simon uh, Sinek is is really good at articulating why, you know, anything, you know, leaders got to lead from the front, you know, not from the back. Mm. And um, yeah. it's just a great book for that. I bought it for every person at the company eventually because it was so useful. Why are business schools not advocating this at the moment? Because it honestly all seems to be about me first and, uh, and greed, actually. And that's not the way you build a team. I mean, what's gone wrong? I, I think, honestly, it's the media likes a flashy story and you want an egomaniac, you know, like, like, the, like the blurb in the last book. I mean, that's attractive. You don't want to write stories about the boring person who's really nice and spends, you know, 20 years in the back office. So I, I've been involved in a lot of entrepreneur organizations. There are no egomaniacs, you know, on the ground in most of these. There's a few, but they, it's, not, it's very, very rare. And so most people are like this. It's, you know, most people don't have, you know, this big thing, but, um, you know, it's much more fun to write about, you know, the, the outside exactly. band of normal. Um, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Ben. Another good recommendation. Here we are. Submission number four. 
Thank you. And it comes from John. Yes, thank you very much, <clears throat> John. I hope it is useful. I remain very optimistic about that, and I hope um, hope you get to work on it right now. Um, and this is from David. Hello, David. QI code there too. So go to David's website, please. He wants that. He expects it of you. It's fantasy. And it's called Times Collision. This is David's blurb. Times Collision follows five characters' perspectives, each taking the lead in successive three-chapter segments. Okay, so that would be 15 chapters, I guess. As they learn to cope with a new world full of hidden dangers and unprecedented conditions. The new world they land in is barren, mercurial, and its dangers. A new world, I wonder why that sounds like. Um, and unrelenting in its disasters. Throughout the five separate overlapping stories, the central characters exhibit ingenuity and pluck as death becomes certain, and they are each forced to learn who they really are. Okay. I'll tell everyone who you really are, David, now. Uh, I'm an award-winning writer, uh, working across mediums from screenwriting, advertising, to graphic novels and novels. That's very nice. Good broad compass there. As the son of two journalists and the stepson of, of acclaimed author Anne Lamotte, it seems like a no-brainer uh, that I work in writing. However, with those looming figures above me, hmm, lots of above too, I didn't realise I had talent for it until <clears throat> I was out of that arena and into my own. From living in Ireland to Chicago and the East Coast to the West Coast, storytelling is always on my mind, and I bring a little bit of each new place I live to the stories I tell. I've won 10 awards in various competitions and worked with such production companies as Comedy Central and ABC7 in Chicago. When I'm not writing, I'm not happy. <laughs> so I'm always writing. And that is the work ethic, I can tell you, actually, of uh, the, the typical author. And uh, this reading, however, is completely atypical because it's brilliant and it's from Jeff. Time's Collision by David, read by Jeff. It's hard to know if this is my first or third time here. It's hard to focus and refocus along normal lines in places like this. Convergences. That's why I decided to call them before. If there was a before, this can't be my first time, right? Or is that what I thought last time too? Or even the first? The hall is grand. And the column's tall. It reminds me of the centre buildings in Hopestown. There is no colour here to the walls or columns. But everything feels green. It has to be the air. I try not to look at the throne at the front. Really just a big chair for a grotesque creature. The three people around me are hazy. But when I focus hard enough, I can still tell who they are. I can hardly see the blue girl when I focus on her. She hides in the corner of my eye. The gravedigger's got dirt under his nails and looks tired. His pot belly protrudes as it did the day I met him. This world makes everyone else skinny with the stress and death, but he seems bigger every time. I have the unfortunate luck of seeing him. I'd focus on the girl, but there's no need to remove the haze. I brought her here after all. Am I just a sazy to them? I don't even think it's really the place that's special. It's them, being so close to them, changes perception and everything loops and repeats happens at the same time, every time. You, who ebbs and flows with the waters and knows there is no fighting life's current. 
You who knows how precious the time which is limited and fleeting. You who seek the dark corners and cast no light upon them. And you who has seen the many cruelties of life. A man whose voice is perpetually tired. A woman whose voice gives life to words. A man whose voice reeks of apathetic misanthropy. A woman whose voice wails wrawful. The forest gravedigger. The silver-tongued sorceress. The wandering ranger. The blue banshee. I welcome you for as I have done before, as I do now, as I will again. The three other messengers are looking up at a sitting figure. A tall, looming, skinny creature, craning just to look downwards towards us. Resembling a human, I had already determined it must be at least 15 feet tall when standing, though I know it won't stand. I've been to this intersection twice, I think, and each time I like it less. It seems like everyone's here this time. No more hazy half-presences to pick up on, though I was sure of that last time too. These intersections confuse and frighten most. The dog won't even come in here. That dog hates both intersections. Giving me a reproachful look, the woman I brought, did I bring her this time? Or the time before? She glares at me, probably I didn't prepare her well for this kind of thing. Maybe she can tell I'm not paying close attention. Her nose flares and her disgust deepens. I hope I don't smell. I probably do. Wild and full of drink. I can't smell good like that. Also, he's here in front of them, so that's scary. Before life, there was death. Before life, there was nothing. From nothing persisted action and reaction. From actions and reactions persisted the first semblance of life. From micro grew macro. From macro grew sentient thought and the desire to live. When the desire to live was born, death gave themselves corporal form. Life fled before the might of death, but death would always find life. Life, too, would always find death. Life antagonizes, enraged and filled with antipathy and ending. Death soothes. There is no separation between your final moments and that of an axe which dies 4,000 years earlier. Now, I know I've heard all this before. I'm getting a headache just thinking about it. With a wave of their hand, tea is served. Hospitable, but not so much so that we're given seats or a table. The one who spent his life in the ebb. Thank you very much, Jeff. I could listen to Jeff reading uh, one last time, but a machine code all day long. It's just so, it's just so brilliant voice, I think. Uh, genii are saying and let me on let me, i've got to be straight with you uh they're not saying great things vagabond says this opening is not grabbing me because i have no idea who what why or where or why la says who's speaking and hannah says is the blue girl actually blue or has blue hair or wearing blue i need more info too confusing the vagueness la claire i've no idea what's going on hannah says is writing this is writing for the sake of writing not for the sake of story I think that's a good observation. This feels like hard work to unscramble, says Vagabond. Well, put me off a bit. A tad confused here, says Johnny. James, not caring about anyone here. Matt says, these intersections also confuse me. I'm so lost and therefore disinterested, says Ale. Lex says, somewhere in here is a riveting, I must know what's going on premise, but it's lost in the overwriting. 
over writing, carve it down, find David in this marble block. That's a very good positive piece of advice, I think, Lex. This isn't storytelling, says Vigo on this is rambling, stream of consciousness, not working for me. James says, life and death, life and death. Unfocused, says Claire. Pamela Jo, uh, check out A Night in the Lonesome October. Zelazny has already given the reader enough meat to chew among the world, the word salad, not world salad, word salad. That's a reference to another author who you might be interested in checking out, actually, David. Start with something tangible for the reader to latch onto, says Claire. And Matt says, this seems like an excuse to shovel in backstory. So not a lot of very positive comments there. I wonder if Ben can be more positive or just honest. I will be because I read a lot of fantasy. So I, 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 will, I will agree on some. I felt like it went a little too long. But overall, I thought it was great for exposing this character's personality. And, it was, and I, I read books for characters. So already with this, when I was kind of seeing the edges of the character emerge, and I love that. Wow. Um, and I love their humor and their dark outlook. So for me, I thought it was a, an interesting approach in the sense of the character's front and center. And I love that. There's a lot of fantasy books where you do something like that. And I think it really pulls you in. Um, now, on the other stuff, I thought the blurb was more of a pitch to a publisher and less of a blurb because it doesn't really tell you where it's going or anything like that. So I read that and thought it was that's the pitch you get the publisher. That's not a blurb. So I think one thing here is the balance between the two that was missing is I want to see a blurb that tells me that story arc. And then if I meet the character, I think that works well. Um, it's not right now. I, I do agree. I, I like the title, but a lot of that depends on the pitch, uh, or sorry, the blurb. And it, it didn't really balance well, but I did like the title if it ends up going well. I thought it was, so you it like, was catchy. You like it would have made me pick you, it up. You've got very good marks for the title. Yeah. Uh, you're not going on the blurb. You yeah. love, I mean, you can make some marks for the writing craft. So this yeah. is interesting. I, I, I suspect a schism is developing here. Let's see what Annie thought. Yeah, this might be one. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm afraid so. I'm not um, not quite as enthusiastic about it. The, the thing is, I'm sure that there's a huge story here. That's the thing about fantasy. Like, you don't realise just how big these stories are and, like, how real they can be in your head and then trying to get them on paper can be just so, so difficult. Yeah. And I think this needs... Um, I think you might need some things with it. I think you need to kind of um, get someone else to look at it, get... Um, get more opinions from people um, because it's a very like five point of view I think that can be done, I think it can be very interesting, that's usually the sign of a very um, like it's going to be a very interesting plot, so that's yeah. that's great um, but yeah, I think the start has, um, there are a few things you have to work on because from the get go um, I feel like we weren't really focusing on one thing. And I feel like in, at the start of a book, we have to either focus on character, on action, or, you know, on setting. But you need to have kind of a mixture of all of those things together for it to be good. Whereas here, it felt like we weren't really getting enough of any of those. So, because he was looking, your main character was looking at these other characters, but they were hazy. And we were kind of in his head just a little bit too much for us to be able to feel like we were there and that scene. And then the description of this throne room, it just wasn't, um, it didn't feel, it didn't really come to life enough, at least from my point of view. So I think that that's, 
I'm not sure if that's the right place to start because I don't feel like anything really happened other than, you know, the person telling them, um, I've brought you all together. And then there was this idea that they'd been there before. Unfortunately, if the blurb had been more of a blurb and we knew what this was about, then it might yeah. have been a bit clearer. But not knowing what is actually going to happen, it's just a bit too confusing. Yeah, and Claire just confirms. Spot on Annie. Annie, yeah, that's what we call her, spot on Annie. Annie. Um, the junior, I also say, Peace of Frontier says, I think the title's really good. Uh, agree with others. From the blurb, this sounds technically difficult to write well. It does sound, it's a challenge, this is actually. Sorry, but the text is confusing me as well. And Pamela goes on. If you if you are watching the recording, David, just, just freeze at the moment, just read what Pamela's saying, because she's giving you a, a reference to go and have a look at. Johnny says, retitle, possibly my favourite Star Trek episode, Next Generation, that would be Time's Arrow. Sublime! I cry every time. And Hannah says, check out Brandon Sanderson, the multimillionaire. <laughs> What was it, $45 million or something like that? Insane that he got from Patreon. Uh, lectures on balancing the concrete with the abstract. Uh, that's good advice, David. And then you can go on to Patreon too and make $45 million. Uh, lectures on YouTube, says Hannah Claire. Streamline and think about putting the reader first. Yes, please. I think that's very perceptive. Spot on, Annie. Annie says Claire. And let's look at the numbers. You've got a 52 David, which means you have divided people. I think the majority didn't quite get into it, but you don't need that. That's the good news. You've got one really strong advocate for you here, and that's what you need. Okay, so, <laughs> so don't give up all hope, but what we should do at this stage, I think, is the score. So we've only got one left now, and it's pretty clear by a wide margin, actually, actually by four points, but 70 is still a significant level. But uh, Lex looks like he's going to win the show unless, unless Nowhere Man can pull something off in the next few moments. And this is Nowhere Man. It's by Simon. I don't know if you're there, Simon. Give us a wave if you are. Commercial slash late coming of age. And Nowhere Man is the story of 22-year-old dreamer Dylan Barrett. I think I know where those names come from, actually. And his frustrations seeking fulfillment in a world not fit for purpose. Disillusioned with employment, ridiculed at home, and surrounded by a uniform acceptance of mediocrity means Dylan is slowly suffocating. Until humiliation and inebriation, by way of a talking lizard, I love that, uh, lead him to a life-changing opportunity. Nowhere Man plays on the theme of the Faustian bargain, with a nod to Jim Morrison's legacy and spirit. I'll tell everyone about you. I'm Simon. I'm 39. I married an Australian. Okay. To stop the Home Office kicking her out of the UK. It's very nice of you. Uh, 11 years later, we're still together. <laughs> and have two kids. <laughs> it's good. Excellent. Uh, my writing here are Jack Kerouac, Hunter Thompson and Charles Bukowski. Images of the former two I have tattooed on my body. I oh, it's a big deal when, uh, when uh, readers do that. Uh, yeah, it's, there's something to be written about literary tattoos. I know a lot of people have had literary tattoos. You don't read only about it, but it means a lot. It's a big deal, actually. Uh, my favourite book of all time is The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn and provided inspiration for my son's name. Or would that be... Um, adventure or Huckleberry or Finn? I wonder. Adventure's a good name, isn't it? Uh, my dream and I 
my dream and I think about it every day. My dream, and I think about it every day, got that right, uh, is to become a published novelist, not once, but multiple times. I want to be prolific and will write, regardless of success, until the day I die. There you go. You're a writer. My passions outside of writing and music. I'm a regular gig goer. Football, Aston Villa season ticket holder. Boxing, I can take a good punch. Good, you may have to. And travel. And I'm delighted to say this is a reading. It's not just a reading, actually. It comes from Martin. It is a reading plus, and it might get us banished from YouTube. But what do I care? It's, uh, this is for you, Simon. Here we go. Nowhere Man by Simon. Read by Martin. Chapter One. Outstretched hands carried Dylan's body in a wave of adulation. Clammy fingers, ruffled hair, clawed at clothing and sneaked desperate squeezes of their hero. He was weightless, floating beneath the warming glow of spotlights and worshipping faces lining the balconies. Dylan, 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 Dylan. Adored, idolised by millions, his talents finally rewarded. He deserved to be carried by these people and held aloft like a god. This was his path, his rightful journey. This was what he had been put on earth to do. Dylan, 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 Dylan. The chants grew louder and more deliberate until his fantasy was pierced by a sharp, shrill call. Dylan, have you finished the filing yet? His weightless body became heavy focusing on the stern, short-haired lady standing in the doorway. Um, nearly. Good, replied his manager, stepping forward and passing Dylan a bundle of blue cardboard folders. Here's a batch from the specialist team. A few more files won't hurt if you nearly finish those. Of course, no problem. And when you finish filing, can you move on to the photocopying? There's quite a lot today. Then, in the afternoon, if you could do the labels, please. Dylan nodded and placed the stack of folders on top of the nearest cabinet. As soon as his manager turned her back, he flashed a V sign. He didn't need reminding of his job. Since commencing work at Premium Medico 11 months ago, the limited tasks he performed were the same day in, day out. A cabinet drawer slammed shut behind him, heralding the entrance of Jane. Ah, Jane. Is this what it's all about, eh? Excuse me? Life. I mean, is this what it's all about? Repeated Dylan. Jane was a middle-aged mother of two who lived locally and had been employed by Premium Medico for 15 years. It's not that bad, is it? This job has been very good to me. It's got me a house, a car, allowed me to raise a lovely family. And by five o'clock each night, I'm on my way home. Christ! Some poor people that live in the city work ungodly hours to get, to get what I've got and have to put up with all that smog too. Dylan zoned out on hearing the words house and car. They were things that boring, responsible adults said to justify sad, mundane existences. He wanted to call her a fucking loser, but was too polite to do so face to face. Don't you ever want more? Like what? Dylan could list a hundred more exciting examples, but didn't want to offend Jane. She was dull as fuck, albeit a gentle, warm-hearted lady. 
I don't know, just more, I guess. He returned to opening drawers, sifting through names and sliding folders into worn out suspension files. The conversation with Jane troubled him. He was aggravated that she was content with so little. Didn't these people have ambition? Didn't they have dreams? How could they endure 15 years of the same mind-numbing shit, all for a house and car in a dead-end town? Look who's back, missus. It's OJ. Dylan's father was a full-time piss-taker and per personal critic. What's wrong, office junior? Another tough day in the fast lane? Something like that, mumbled Dylan. A Beatles song started playing from a Philips stereo housed on the kitchen worktop. Bruce turned up the volume and began smiling. He's a real nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. What do you reckon then, OJ? It's got you down to a T, ain't it? Been there, done nothing? You're a fine one to talk, Dad, snapped Dylan. You left school at 14 to become a grease monkey, which has fucked up your back. And your idea of seeing the world is spending a week in Wales. Yes, said Bruce, holding his arms wide as if embracing an invisible beach ball. But all this you're standing in right now. Who owns it? Me, all paid for. That jag outside, all mine. And who's kept you for the last 22 fucking years? Bruce tapped his chest. Me. That's who. When you can say that, son, then I'll give you a bit of respect. And I knew Martin could deliver a great uh, verbal reading, but uh, my word, he's a good singer. Uh, extraordinary, actually. That, however, could uh, be the end of pop-up submissions if uh, the uh, owners of the musical copyright uh, that we've just infringed... Uh, Actually, it depends on how good their algorithms are, really, because we live and die by algorithms, don't we? So let's let's just see, guys. Oh, we're still on the air, apparently. Uh, the genii are saying, um, "I can't." This is out of sequence. I have to read it now because it's so funny. Johnny says, "Hearing Martin swearing is like seeing your vicar pissed up at the Xmas bash." <laughs> you want good swearing? It's Emily. Absolutely. Vagabond um, says, uh, "This is about uh, Simon's son's name." Actually, I want it to be Finn Bun. Is it Finn Von? Yes, I would like that too. Um, Pamela, teenager, when you're always surrounded by uniform acceptance and mediocrity, but you're talking about your reader. New adult, says Claire. It could be, actually. That's, this is my big problem. I, I, would, I don't know where it, what, what genre it fits into, really. Uh, is Simon's son called Tom Sawyer? Says Johnny. And then he says, sorry, I got my coat. <laughs> uh, blurb didn't sound YA. To be fair, I'm not sure that it is YA. Uh, Simon describes it as commercial, late coming of age. Like his attitude, says Claire. Writing's good, says Hannah. Nice whimsical feel here, Johnny. Pamela, like the Phantom Snake, still disappointed by that. Okay. This is making me laugh, says Claire. That's good. Anyone who's raised teenagers are liable to have flashbacks here, says uh, Pamela. And I'm not that interested in the story yet, but the writing's engaging enough to keep me reading. Um, and... Yeah, you've go, Martin, says James. Claire says copyright. <laughs> uh, great singing, Martin, says Hannah. He totally was. Uh, Eva, nice familiar kind of voice. Thank you, Eva. Matt, nice voice, both in the story and the singing. And Pamela, any agent just fell over clutching his heart. 
Copyright, yeah. And Pamela says, more Martin Scene Capitals. Do you take requests? He ought to. Uh, Vagabon felt too like the archetypal bored teenager. Nothing new. And no, we were over pushing the point. I enjoyed that, says LA. Very well crafted. Matt says, it's fair use, isn't it? It is, actually. I think it's fair use. Under the limit, I think. Well, I don't know. It depends on the algorithm, doesn't it? We all live and die by those things now. James says, I would read on. Um, I like the main character, says Claire. I'd read on. PC says, I like the title. Sorry, this is not for me. Too dull. Too much unnecessary swearing. Wasn't really necessary, actually, was it? Matt, I'm not sure the story was working, but... It was charming, Annie. Well, I've, um, I'm not sure. Like, I enjoyed it. I think it's kind of, it's, it's got a charm to it. It's, even though it's a bit, um, bit mundane, it's still, it's, it's got something, there's something nice there to it. And I think that this is something that could be quite successful. I was thinking of that book, um, that what, what was it called? Eleanor Oliphant is yeah. completely fine. Is that what it's called? It could yeah. be like a version of that because it's a late coming of age and since he's already got an office job. Um, there's just one thing that kind of jumped out at me and it's that he's, um, he's not a very likable main character and I think you can have that. Like I think a lot of um, main characters who are unlikable can you know be very interesting but mm. we still have to be rooting for him so mm. one of the things that I was for example when he's thinking that Jane she's very dull you know he doesn't like Jane and the fact that you know she's content with her house and her car um, why not show us Jane being dull instead of just being given this like paragraph of, um, of oh my life is fine happy with my job so is jane doing some things that that the reader will read that and go oh i don't like jane so at yeah. least if he's going to be like that at least have us kind of be on his team so that mm. we'll we'll stick with him because i, I found him just a tiny bit um wee bit unlikable but you know the writing's good and i think coming of age stories even the late coming of age those can be quite um compelling so Good. Excellent. I'm looking forward to seeing Thank you, Annie. Fantastic. Ben. Yeah, I thought it was great. I, I did also get caught when he said fucking loser. That seemed a bit harsh, um, but it could work, you know, in the rest of the book. But it did catch me for a second of like, okay. Um, the other thing is I just wanted to make sure the blurb said talking lizard, correct? Yes. <laughs> okay. That's right. So, so I love that. I think that's great. Um, I think that I want to see that in that opener because this opener was great. I really liked it, but uh, it needs the absurd when you're leading with that on the blurb. It needs that balance. So I want to know, I, I feel like you need to figure out how to squeeze that in, even if it was something like, you know, little did I know I would soon be talking to a, a you know, a talking lizard with 500 yes. years, you know, something like yes. that. Um, yeah. I felt like that would have sold better. Um, and I think, I think from a bang perspective, this is huge because um, I think there's massive disillusionment with, with the social contract right now globally. Um, mm. and, and to me, you know, selling this on TikTok, you know, with, it, you know, with everything everywhere and a lot of these movies that are hitting these same notes um, with absurdism and so on. I think this is, Really interesting. I just want to know what the heck's going on with the lizard. Where is the lizard? No, we no. all want to know that. Yes, we all care about the lizard no. a lot. 
Um, and uh, I'm not sure the story is working, says Matt, but it was charming. Pamela's our second Vagabond, too much uniform mediocrity in the characters. Bit too obvious in places, says Vagabond. Uh, Ellen Oliphant was great, says Johnny. Thanks to Hannah for putting me onto it. Loved it. Vagabond, Johnny, I think you'll find Ellen was merely completely fine. <laughs> Oh, right, slight disagreement. Ben trying hard to get pop-ups banned, says LA. Oh, you know what? I think you can F-bomb as much as you want to on YouTube. I don't think there's a problem with that. But you upset someone, you know, a music company's copyright, and I think that is serious stuff. Although books, I mean, I don't seem to bother about books. She's very, very bizarre. Let's look, let's look at the numbers. 67, Simon. I like the way you write, Simon. From my commercial point of view... Um, I wouldn't know exactly how to sell this, to be honest. I think it's not quite different enough, and it's it doesn't. It, I, I think what I'm what I'm saying is I think I think there is a genre that you just need to slip into, and then you'll you'll be successful. And I'm I'm not sure this is a particular. Um, the genre is quite right for you. I think whatever the genre is, I'm sorry to be boring today. Whatever the genre is, I think it begins with cozy, actually. I do. I think it begins with cozy. Hopefully, that's uh, that's useful for you. And what's going to be useful for us? I think. Oh, are you there? Yes. Well, there you go, Simon. Ben, you've got okay. Simon. <laughs> yes. Good to know. Okay. So you get more marks now. You can't. He's already voted. Yeah. You're trying to. I, th I think it's just a differentiator. You got to hit that first thing. I mean, that's what sets us apart. Because I mean, it does hit. I like that it hit the same notes. Of like I know that scene, and so that's good. Lull them in, but then hit them with the lizard. It needs to. It needs the other totally. side of that equation. It, absolutely, uh, that would break it out yeah. a bit. It's a little bit too. I think Annie yeah. is the right word. It's a bit mundane at the moment. I've, I I actually wrote yeah. depressing a bit, a bit too mundane, depressing. Break us out of that. Get, bring the lizard on a bit earlier, and he is Finn Bon. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Finley. How fantastic! Takes takes a writer to know to know that. Um, before we go, we've got one more. Okay, this is kind of relevant, actually. One more book suggestion, recommendation, what you will, uh, from Ben. This is called The Happiness Project. Now, I remember this from some years ago, but I don't really know why I remember it. What was it about? Yeah, so it was really fun. It was, it was a combination of, like, almost like one chapter, her researching what scientifically can make you happy and what it means with experts, and the other half was her implementing things and her personal narrative of going through it. Um, and it was just, she, she has a good voice, and it was entertaining. Um, and then it was also interesting to hear, you know, this research on the scientific side, you know, from a psychological um, and other aspects. So it was, it was very enjoyable, and I... I learned a few things and put a few things into uh, into effect. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so many people in the genius room want the lizard, so you've got instant feedback there and hopefully very good <laughs> advice too. And happiness, what an interesting way to, to end the show. You know, I was just thinking about this just the other day, actually. So it's it's all interesting how these things work out, right? So our politicians, they don't care about happiness at all. In fact, quite the opposite. And I'm not, I'm not being part of political here. It's left-wing, right-wing, whatever wing you want. They don't, they don't seem to care about our happiness. And isn't that what we want them to care about? Or am I just ranting? Oof, I, th I, I, like to, I like to use the word contentment. And I, I do think mm. that, I mean, I'm, I was born in the U.S. and now I live in Europe. So, I mean... A I think the U.S. has lost sight of that in terms of the quest for happiness has gotten warped and the quest for 
stuff and, uh, and power. And, and it needs to be more on like what actually makes us content and uh, less stressed. It's such a stressful place to be um, yes. for everybody. It seems like. That's absolutely right. Contentment is a very good word to use. Actually, it's better than happiness, isn't it? Yeah. What makes you happy or, or contented, Annie? Oh, well, do you know, I was just thinking there, anyone who's watching this or who's, you know, who's currently working on something that they're passionate about, that they're writing or that they're, you know, they're reading, I think you're in the right path for happiness. At least that's what makes me happy, even though it can be very hard at times because, you know, it's not an easy, not an easy road, but it's, I think if you can find something that you're, that you're passionate about, that's definitely one way to go. Fantastic panelists this week, eh? Hey, what? You've got uh, you've got six or seven points there, actually, Simon. That's not bad, is it? So that means let's look at the overall numbers. Still means that Lex actually is uh, is is top of the top of the pile this week. Congratulations, Lex. We all like that to the extent that you've got a serious 70, which could actually see you being the monthly winner. I don't know. We'll find out a little bit more next week. Great thanks to our wonderful guests. There. You can, they are just showing you one more time because they're so lovely to look at. Very intelligent, but also quite good to look at too, I think. Thank you for being with us this week. Both fantastic guests, everyone behind the scenes, of course. I don't always say thank you, but I certainly should do, and you know who you are. Everyone helps produce the show because it's not possible. We're quite a large team of people, and we're very, very grateful. And most of all, I guess, we're very grateful to you, the, the authors, the people who, who write hard for our education, entertainment, enlightenment, and all the wonderful things that writers do. Isn't that great? We'll be back same time next week. See you then. Hit it!